Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jesus is Arrested, Peter Cuts and Runs. Peter Cuts and Runs. little pun there. Uh, Mark 14, 41 to 52. And I was... As I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about embarrassing moments because there's several very embarrassing moments in this passage here. What is your most embarrassing moment? Can you think of something really embarrassing that you just would not want everybody to know or if you did, you would be like mortified? Uh, we, we used to play this crowd breaker game. I was a youth pastor, even as a pastor. It was a crowd breaker and it was called... Guess whose embarrassing moment? Everybody would write their most embarrassing moment on a piece of paper, throw it in, you pull it out, read it, and then everybody tried to guess who it was, and then they'd vote at the end who was the most embarrassing. And uh, I always won this game. Always won this game. Because my most embarrassing moment happened in kindergarten. I was in kindergarten, and, and uh, I'll never forget it. I, it's like I, it's seared into my memory. I was using the bathroom, and in kindergarten, you know, they have the bathrooms where you'd go in and, and you'd turn the light on and you'd go in and there'd be a little, some of you old enough remember, there'd be a little red light there that let everybody know somebody was in the bathroom. And then there's a little window cut up high that the teacher would, you know, could check on to make sure the kids were okay. And so I remember I went in, I used the bathroom, and I reached over to flush it, and as it was flushing, I lost my balance, and I fell into the toilet. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part, I couldn't get out. You know, my, 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 I was just a little guy. My arm stuck down the hole and it's flushing, flushing. And, and I'm like, I'm going to drown, you know. And Alice in Wonderland down the hole, right? And, uh, and I, was like, I, was, I was like, and the water's coming back up. And I could not get out. My arm was stuck. I, was, I literally could not get I was tip, the tip. I reached the tipping point, right? I tipped over in the door. Couldn't get out. I'm stuck there. The water's there. And... and uh, Thankfully, they, they had these little windows cut because the teacher, you know, the lines get longer, right? You know, the teacher's like, what's that little Wilson kid doing? What's Chucky doing in the bathroom now, right? And so she looks in, and I'll never forget, I'm stuck, like, hoping, hoping someone's saving me. I'll never forget, Mrs. Verratti looks in, and she had these black eyes, and all of a sudden, she looks in, she goes, boing! <laughs> She's like, what's going <laughs> it's going to look bad on her resume, fired because child drowned in the toilet, right? So she, she comes running in and pulls me out. What are you doing? I go, I fell. You know, it's like, you know, I she's like mad at me. And then she's like, you're okay? Okay, good. You're okay. You're okay. But so, so I'm soaking wet, you know. And, and so she takes my shirt off. It was my favorite shirt. I still remember it. Takes it off and hangs it on the radiator to dry. And I come out and I'm sitting there and everybody comes up. Why aren't you wearing a shirt, Chucky? You know, none of your beeswax. I was really mad. I was really, really ornery after that happened. But that was my most embarrassing moment. That's why I usually win that game. But anyway, we're going to see some very embarrassing moments here in this passage today. And the, involving the disciples. And it's all because they weren't spiritually prepared for the, what they're facing here. And last week we talked about the lessons that we could all get from the apostles, we talked about the importance of staying awake, staying humble, and staying on our knees, the three stays there. Remember that? Stay humble, stay awake, stay on your knees. And if you weren't here, get the CD or listen to the podcast, YouTube, because this all flows into this. Let me pray before we look at the passage. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace now to 
hear your word and that your spirit would speak to us and, and help us to avoiding spiritual failures and spiritually embarrassing moments. And we, we can't do this. We totally need your mercy and your grace and your Holy Spirit now. I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, they never put their faith in you, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that for the rest of us, it would be a day of sanctification, that you would continue to grow us spiritually through this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark 14, and we'll pick it up in verse 41. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him, and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Three very embarrassing moments that I picked out here. Uh, the first one is Peter cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus says, what are you doing, Peter? You know, he gets reprimanded by Jesus, which we'll see in a little bit that it really was Peter. Uh, then Peter and all the disciples run off, just as Jesus prophesied, just as fulfilled prophecy, but they all said they wouldn't. Remember last week? They all ran off and leave Jesus completely on his own. And then uh, this last young man, who we, is probably Mark, John Mark, who wrote this book, that's why he doesn't name himself, it's a what's well, literary technique, but, it, but it's obvious from the context and also tradition tells us it was John Mark who wrote this book. He was there in his pajamas and they saw him and grabbed him and, and he was the first streaker in the Bible. All right, uh, Actually, not the first one. Does anybody remember another one in the Bible? Joseph? Well, we don't know if he was completely uh, streaking there, but good, good guess. He lost his coat, right? Oh, Adam and Eve, yes, thank you, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, right, yeah. David was too? No, he had, his, he had his linen garment on still, yeah. He had his pajamas on, that was the thing. David, his wife, Mikael. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet was also a streaker. It lasted several years, did you know that? Read Jeremiah, very interesting book. Okay, well, well we won't go there today. But anyway, embarrassing moments, all right? And I want to go to a parallel passage to really dig into this context. Because Mark, remember, Mark is writing to who? The Romans. He's writing to the, Rome, the church in Rome. And, and they're uh, Gentiles. And he's just the facts. He's just giving them the facts. The arrest, the trial, Jesus is killed, Jesus' resurrection. He's just giving them the, the, the facts of what happened in Jesus' life. But I want to go to John because John gives more detail. He's writing about Jesus, the Son of God. And if we go to the parallel passage in John 18... In John 18, it says, starting with verse 1, listen to, fill in the blanks, you'll see the two passages fill in a lot of things. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met 
there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Melchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So even more details, some very interesting details that kind of fill out our story here. Verse 4, we'll start with verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus knew what was going to happen. We've talked about Jesus' omniscience. Jesus' omniscience. We've been talking about that. And then we also see his omnipotence. Verse 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, a traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Fell to the ground. This is all part of all. The, you can weave this together and, and, and find a very fascinating story with all four different gospel accounts bring out different details. You weave it together. It's amazing. What we see is an omnipotence. He says, I am. I am he. Exodus 3.14. He's claiming divinity. We've talked about that many times. Claiming divinity here. And then what happens? Jesus drop kicks them all. It's like one of those, you know, one of these movies where the guy has special powers, but Jesus had the powers. They all went, they all fell flat. Judas, the soldiers, the militia, the Pharisees all fell flat. He's showing his omnipotence, his power. He shows that he's in total control. Why does John record these details? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He's, he's in total control. His voluntary, his death is voluntary. He's a Son of God. He's voluntarily letting himself be taken. Then Judas comes up, the whole thing. They are all at his mercy, not vice versa. They're at his mercy. And it also left them without excuse. Without excuse. He told them who he was, and then he proved it. Proved it. And yet, what did they still do? They still arrested him. Isn't that incredible? They still arrested him. It's the proof of the hardness of the human heart. We've talked about that. That our hearts are so hard that only God can change the human heart. Only God could touch our hearts and change them. You, we, we can, we, we, our hearts are, before we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, before we give our life to Him, our hearts are completely hardened. Only God's grace can touch that. Even miracles won't change the, the, the human heart. Seeing a miracle doesn't matter. Look at, look at what happened at the tomb, the soldiers at the tomb. They knew Jesus was resurrected. They knew they were, saw the angel and they fainted. They knew the tomb was empty, but it didn't matter. They still went and told a lie. They still took money and told a lie because miracles don't change the heart. Judgment won't change the heart. Jesus knocking them on their back doesn't change the human heart. You would think, oh, if only God would really do something like 9-11... Right? How long did that last? Everybody flooded into the churches. 
after what happened. But it only lasted for two months. They said after two months, the church is emptied again because people didn't need God anymore. It didn't change their heart. It just upset people. But it didn't change the heart. It got miracles and judgment, even a judgment doesn't change the heart. You need more proof? Look, we're gonna, the whole world's gonna see more proof soon. In Revelation 16, in Revelation 16, look at, listen to what happens, what's going to happen, not too long from now, I believe. I think we're seeing it coming very, very quickly. In Revelation 16, verse 1, you need proof that judgments don't touch people's hearts. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets." And you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into the darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. Wow. Not going to be able to blame this on climate change. Everybody's going to know it's God. And they refuse to repent. If you need proof that the human heart is completely hardened and cannot, will not, turn to God without God's touch of grace, this is it. This is it. Jesus says, I am. I am. And they all fell flat. They fell flat in judgment. But we have a choice. We can either kneel before Jesus voluntarily or we will be knocked flat in the book of Revelation. We have that choice. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee should bow. But Revelation tells us that every knee will bow. The question is, will we voluntarily Kneel before Jesus Christ, giving our life to him and and, and putting our faith and trust in him? Or will we be forced to fall flat on our backs before him as our judge? Falling on our faces before him as our judge. So we see Jesus is in total control. And he makes sure the the disciples are off the hook. And Peter, so he, he makes sure that they can escape. He's in control, makes sure they can escape. And Peter wakes up just in time... Just in time to, back to John 18, verses 10 and 11. He wakes up just in time to do something. 
Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This was all because Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. Remember last week? That's why he really woke up a little before this, but I was kind of joking around there. But, but he should have been praying, but he was sleeping. He was sleeping, he should have been praying. He should have kept on sleeping, shouldn't he have? Because he wakes up just in time to cut off one of the mob members' ear. Cuts it off. Peter And Peter's probably confused. Jesus had just recently said, you're, you're going to... You will be a coward. You're going to run away. You're going to deny me. Basically calling him a coward, right? And, and so when Peter tries to be brave, what does Jesus say? Stop it. Put the sword away. Right? He's probably confused. But he keeps missing the point. Peter is in the flesh. He's still living on self-confidence here. And he keeps going against God's will. That's what he's doing. He's, he's fighting against God. We can do that, right? God's trying to accomplish something and we don't like what he's trying to accomplish, so we go against it. We try to fight God. We try to resist him in our own life or in our children's lives or in other people's lives. It, Jesus said, now this is what Jesus said, I'm going to die. Remember, not too long ago we looked at that. He says, I'm going to die. And what did Peter say? You can't die. You can't do that. Then we'll wreck all of our plans. Jesus for president. Right? You're already elected. The polls show your... Look at the crowd here. And now, that was what happened first. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Right? And now, it's really time for Jesus to die. He says, it's time for me to die. And he's getting ready to go die. And he's trying to protect the disciples by saying, I'll come peaceably, let them go. But Peter comes to the rescue, rescue, and he tries to behead the guy who, to keep Jesus from going to the cross. So he tries to talk Jesus out of going to the cross, and now he tries to stop Jesus from being taken to the cross. You see what he's doing? Do we ever do that? We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Jesus says, put the sword away, Peter. I don't need your help. And not only did he do that, he also knew because Peter cut the guy's ear off, Peter's in a lot of trouble too. So what does he do in Luke 22? In Luke 22... Verse 49, look what happens. See, each of the different uh, writers of the Gospels bring out different things. It's awesome when you put them all together. Verse 49, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Gets Peter off the hook, heals the ear. Why would Luke record that? Dr. Luke, he was a doctor, all right? So let's connect some dots here, some very important lessons for us. Peter used the wrong weapon at the wrong time for the wrong reason. (laughs) Isn't that what he did? He used the wrong weapon at the wrong time for the wrong reason. It reminds me of the shootings that just happened in Dallas, the Dallas police shootings, which were just horrific. All the shootings have been horrific. In the midst of a peaceful protest, the movement, the, the, this movement is just gaining traction to try to, you know, pr- keep people from getting shot. And I know there's, I'm not going to get into the middle of who's right and wrong. There's a whole other argument. But the, this movement's just gaining traction. The public is really starting to sympathize because all the videos coming out. 
But then a sniper comes along, and he kills five policemen and wounds six other ones, and he accomplished the exact opposite of what this movement is trying to do. Now, the police are going to be even more nervous. Wouldn't you be if you're a policeman? Even more nervous. They're going to have their finger on the trigger every time they see anything suspicious. They're going to be even more nervous. It may cost more lives. And even more importantly for, for the movement, public opinion has now shifted. And a lot of people that were sympathizing now don't trust this movement. You see how taking something into our own hands the wrong way can backfire. But another twist on this, just so you... There's, you may not see this in the media anytime soon, but the reports are out. They're starting to come out in dribs and drabs if you read carefully and look carefully that the man who did the shooting had, was a follower of radical Muslim, radical Islam. Anybody read that in the news yet? As soon as it happened, I said, I'll bet this guy had nothing to do with that movement. I'll bet he's a, a radical Muslim shooting people, taking advantage of the crowd. Sure enough, it's coming out. If you want some documentation, email me. I'll email it to you. It's coming up, but you won't see it for at least six months because our president will suppress the truth. He'll suppress it. And this is what he does each time. He'll suppress the truth. He'll wait till the, the emotion is passed and all the upset anger is passed. And then all of a sudden, it will leak out what really, that this guy had a Muslim, radical Islam connection. It's happened many times. The FBI, can you imagine the FBI not telling the truth? Can you imagine that happening? Suppressing facts? Can you imagine them listening to politicians and doing that? That would be shocking, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what's happening here. There's a connection. And often... Pay attention when there's, there's these shootings and killings and stuff, and a lot of times they say there's no nothing. No, pay attention because if you listen closely and listen to the Internet and, 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 and watch, a year later they'll say, oh, and by the way, oh, and by the way, the guy was on radical Muslim websites. So, FYI, but... We must learn, that's all on the side, we must learn from this situation. And, we, and it is a church. I pray that the church would bring healing because our country's fractured and the only way that there's going to be a healing, it has to be the church of Jesus Christ. We have to pray for our policemen and police with women. We have to pray for those who are, who are being killed unnecessarily. We have in their families. We only the church can heal this racial divide. And it's not just racial. There's a lot of divides in this country. Only the church can heal it. It has to be the church of Jesus Christ coming together. Red and white, yellow, black and white coming together to bring healing. That's the only chance. So back to what Jesus said, learning from this what happened though, is listen to what Jesus said to Peter. He says, "Put the sword away." Put the sword away. The world's weapons have no place in spiritual battles. The world's weapons have no place in our spiritual battles. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. 
It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons of we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to use spiritual weapons to fight the battles that we're fighting. Remember this. Will we do things our way? Will we try to bring God's kingdom through our own strength or our own effort? In ministry? Doing it the world's way? Marketing the church? What has that got us? 30 years later, marketing the church. What has it got us? A worldly church. Will we do it with politics? It's tempting, isn't it? Try to use politics to accomplish God's purpose. Will we try to change somebody? Think of our own life or somebody else. We're trying to change them. Will we try to do it through our own strength or effort? Or, now this is important, will we surrender to God and his plan? Even though we might not like it. Will we surrender to God and his plan, even though we might not like it? Think, will we allow God to work in our kids? You know, will we let our kids, what our kids have to go through, some real trials, will we let them go through that? Or will we we get out of the helicopters? Helicopter parents, right? Hovering around, trying to rescue our children, solve all their problems, not let them go through anything hard. It's a big, big problem. It's, It's a cultural phenomenon, actually. Will we get out of our helicopter and don't rescue them and let God break them? We have to let God break their flesh, just like he's breaking our flesh. We've got to let him do it. Will we, let God, will, we try, will we let God do what he needs to do in our country? Will we surrender to God's plan with our kids? Will we surrender to God's plan with our country? What it has to go through, even though we don't like it. We might not like who gets elected. Well, probably we won't. (laughs) Most of us won't. One way or another we won't, right? According to the polls, right? Uh, But do we realize that God is in control? And he's going to work something through it. And it may be the last thing we want. God has his own agenda. God has his own agenda. And it always includes a cross. Remember this. God's will always includes a cross. Jesus is headed for where? The cross. And every one of us who decides to follow Jesus Christ has to pick up a cross. We have to face a cross. It's a vital part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Luke 14.27 says this. Back to Luke again. In Luke 14.27, he says... Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If, you're not, if we are not willing to carry the cross, take up a cross and carry the cross that Jesus Christ has put before us, we cannot be his disciple. It includes a cross. What is our cross today? What cross has God given us? Will we take it from the hand of Jesus, trusting God's purpose for our life? Will we, tr- will we trust him? Will we surrender to God's plan? Will we surrender to his plan? Or will we try to tell God what's best? <laughs> will we try to tell God what he should be doing? Nobody here like that, right? 
Or will we try to take matters into our own hands because we don't like what God's doing. We don't like what he's, what he's, what the cross that he's offering us. So we try to take matters into our own hand. We don't like this rugged cross. We want a nice silver, gold cross that's smooth and easy to, to wear. And we try to take things into our own hands because we don't like the way God's running things. So we, we're going to play God, right? It, the cross rarely makes sense. No, the cross never makes sense. It never makes human sense. Ever. And if it does, it's not, Jesus didn't just hand you that cross. But it takes that. Will we take that cross from the hand of Jesus, trusting his promise? Will we surrender to God's plan, even when it involves suffering? Because it's the, this is the only way to break the flesh. God knows what it takes. He knows what the cross took. Just as Peter fought in the flesh. But what, did you, what happened to Peter ultimately? He was crucified upside down. He surrendered. The flesh was broken. And our, our human flesh has to be broken. It's the only way we're going to find God's resurrection power is when the flesh is broken. It's the only way. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. They're connected. I know Brenda was at the Voice of the Martyrs conference yesterday in Philadelphia. She's going to be sharing next week. And this is happening all over the world. And it's starting here. It's starting here. Will we submit to God's plan for our country? This ain't Mayberry anymore. Will we submit to his plan? The birth pains are increasing. Remember Matthew 24? We talked about this not long ago. It's already increasing. And we know what that means for the church of Jesus Christ. We know that's what it, what it means for each one of us. Will we submit to God's plan? What cross is he calling us to take today? Will we submit to that cross have you come to the cross? Are you a Christian yet? Have you ever come to the cross of Jesus Christ? That's the only way to resurrection power. That's the only way to a new life in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to eternity in heaven with God someday. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son to die on a cross in our place. He took our sin on himself. He took all the wrong we've ever done. He took all the garbage in our life. He took all the shame, every embarrassing moment. He took it upon himself on that cross that whoever believes in him shall not perish. We're talking about not spending eternity in hell, but will spend eternity in heaven. will have eternal life. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. Real life that starts here on earth. A whole brand new life. And it continues throughout all of eternity. Have you ever believed in Jesus? And it's not just an intellectual thing. The word believe means to put your complete trust in. It, it, in the, in the, the Greek it means to total dependence. Complete trust. Total surrender. 
Have you ever put your faith in Jesus, his death on that cross, his resurrection from the dead, giving you a brand new life for forgiveness and, and, and putting your faith in him? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. How is the spirit of Jesus Christ speaking to us today through his word? Maybe you've never come to the cross and received forgiveness by putting your faith in Jesus and getting a brand new life in Christ, now and forever. But the Holy Spirit is calling you and speaking to you and pulling you today. You can have that life right now. Come to the cross. Say, Jesus, I come to the cross. I repent of my old life, the garbage in my life. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took my sin, my punishment. You are my substitute. In God's sight, you took my sin. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe in you. I give my life to you, God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ today, you have received a brand new life. Starting right now, you have a whole different life that has purpose and peace and joy that you're going to realize in a way you never thought possible. Oh, there'll be battles to fight. (laughs) There'll be spiritual battles, but you now have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to fight them. And your life will never be the same. You can now talk to God as your father any time because you belong to Jesus Christ, his son, his one and only son. And if you have prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend here or a family member, let them know or fill up the card in the bulletin, stick it in the box or Tell me on the way out. Tell somebody. Call, text, email. Let me know. Let somebody know so that we can help you in your new life in Christ. Encourage you in your new life in Christ. Be excited for you. (laughs) It is very exciting. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What cross has Jesus asked us to pick up and carry? And we can think of every excuse in the book why we shouldn't pick that up. Why we shouldn't do something God is calling us to do. Why why we don't like what God is doing. How it doesn't make any sense to me. 
That's not what I would do if I was God. And yet we know the Holy Spirit is calling us to surrender. Maybe it involves a sin in our life that he's calling us to surrender. Will we respond? Maybe it's sanctification in some way. Maybe it's our life's purpose, our life's goal. What we put our time into. What we're doing with our finances. Hanging on to them or or opening our hands and saying, God, where can I give to you? Where does Jesus need me? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit, as we move into the Passion account and the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, Lord, we know that you've called each one of us to follow Jesus to the cross, to find our salvation and new life in Christ, but also then to pick up and carry our cross. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us in a powerful way. And Lord, that we in this culture, this country we're living, which is such a mess, spiritually lost, people without hope, that people would see Jesus in us and see the resurrection power in our life and would be drawn to Jesus through the cross that we carry. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.